Welcome to another edition of Food, Faith, and Feelings, brought to you as an educational program under the nonprofit MANA Scholarship Fund. Our program is designed to help you better understand issues related to your physical and mental diet, what you consume that is impacting your head, your heart, and your soul. We are thankful to our business partnership with Paradigm Security and Mr. Rick Strawn for providing this opportunity to come to you. We hope to enrich your lives as he has enriched ours. My guest today is the one, the only, Madison Day Giles. Hello, Madison. Hello, Jeannie. Dr. Burnett. <laughs> yeah, I happen to be Madison's boss. The best boss ever. Thank you. Um, Madison has come to MANA, I guess, starting in January of yeah. this year. Wow. Coming up on a year. What? Wow. Um, and I brought Madison on today because she wears a couple of hats with MANA. One is that she is a licensed, well, she is a, an associate professional counselor through the state of Georgia. And so she does um, play a therapist at MANA um, and she's a very good therapist. And then she also, because of her overwhelmingly bubbly personality that is like a social butterfly, <laughs> extreme, extraordinaire, um, she is also doing marketing for MANA. And so today though, she, she has a very special niche and I'm gonna let her explain that. Um, and so I would like to introduce everyone to Miss Madison and discuss that we are doing the spectrum disorder and eating disorders. So as we were talking with Mike earlier, Mike <coughs> said, what is a spectrum disorder? So, a spectrum disorder. So, most people I think have heard of the word autism, maybe Asperger's, something along those lines. Those are all spectrum disorders. So, in the eating disorder world, the one spectrum disorder that comes up often is called ARFID. It's an abbreviation that stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. And that also goes on the lines of like a spectrum disorder, which simply put is a neuro logical disorder that has to do with your senses so a sensory overload can be something that you see I don't know do you have any other so um for sensory yes the the spectrum disorders commonly do have um uh, sensory integration disorder and um our brain has the capability um if it is a quote normal brain it has the capability of inputting sensory information through your eyes through your nose through your mouth through your skin and it has the ability to sort of uh, dumb down certain senses or uh, pull, heighten, them. heighten up yeah pull uh, pull up certain sensory information and um so when a sensory, someone has a sensory integration problem, they might have issues related to texture. So if someone's uh, pants are scratchy, um, people with sensory integration disorder cannot tolerate that. Mm -hmm. So they will literally, they would prefer to walk around um, naked or in their underwear 
as opposed to wearing a certain pair of pants. They just will not do them. Mm -hmm. uh, this can also be sound. I actually mm -hmm. had a client one time that the flushing of a toilet felt like it was like a huge thunderstorm to them. And it was really sensory, like it was overwhelming. Light, mm -hmm. sound, um, texture in your mouth. Like, so sometimes cl uh, clients have come in and they cannot tolerate um, mashed potatoes in their mm. mouth they yogurt feel, cottage cheese yeah they feel like things are just it's just it's too much mm -hmm. so when that person's brain cannot filter out or segregate um the different senses then we call that a sensory integration problem and that is very commonly like we said a part of um, the asperger's uh, autistic spectrum so when you think about those types of individuals that have uh, autistic Asperger's sensory issues, um, what kinds of, what, just basically what kinds of behaviors might we see, Madison? So, well, in the food, so like we talked about food texture. So like a way that you could see someone that has like a spectrum disorder would probably be like, they eat the same thing over and over five chicken nuggets, mashed potatoes or mac and cheese, that's it. Every meal, every day. And then for like the, the textures, that same stuff, you might see that they wear the same outfits every single day or the same shirt in different colors because it's that soft material. Um, behaviors could be, I've seen, I've seen mute versions where they can't speak, where they just use actions, um, whether that be hand motions or noises. Um, a lot of the times you see just a very like for example like these lights like fluorescent lights you couldn't be in this someone with that would be probably in a sensory overload position which would make them feel very uncomfortable so they might be like hiding under like their hands or just like freaking out maybe showing some anxiety attack symptoms ang anxious feelings um, just because of the light is too bright because they see things so bright things are so loud so like us talking to this microphone that could be an overload for them because they hear it so much and that's how it plays a part in the eating side because you taste things you feel things like to just a differently really, really heightened way yeah exactly yeah. so um just another aspect of people that have arfid well not arfid well arfid but also uh, part of the spectrum disorder is they're typically so if especially people that are asperger's pretty intelligent mm -hmm. i have um uh, had a client in the past that would come in at 10 or 12 years old with a, I don't know, six, seven inch medical dictionary. And he was literally just reading it. Mm -hmm. They know everything. These are the kids that know everything about sharks. They know everything about dinosaurs. It's mm -hmm. like once they figure out something that really jazzes them, they get into it in a very deep dive mm -hmm. way that they hyper could, fixation they could totally tell you everything any nuances so uh just to pull out a, a common reference sheldon that's what i was thinking about too yeah so sheldon doesn't necessarily have that capability of connecting with um the humanness of people and so he really kind of comes across more like a computer mm -hmm. and has this vast knowledge and a little bit arrogant and um, just 
really not being like people actually are too complex and there's too much sensory information that are coming across from a human being and so they they typically will shut down and pull away from other human interaction mm-hmm. um and another another thing that i um when i saw a client he was so rules driven they're yes. very very like they need structure they need because everything in their world feels really chaotic and big and overwhelming and so they go into rules based living and for example one of um, my old clients he when he was a kid his family went to a movie and when the credits started rolling the parents were like okay let's time let's go he was like no the movie's not over so literally he made his family sit in the movie theater until the whole movie Mm -hmm. including the credits was over and so they're very um they're very fun mm-hmm. um they can be annoying and frustrating <laughs> just like anyone else um yes and um so sometimes logic doesn't necessarily apply um so we have to get really creative mm-hmm. so i feel like that's a really good explanation of what the spectrum disordered kind of person is like mm-hmm. and um this like the reason it's called spectrum is because it goes from being really, really intense, like an autistic child that rocks and, and, and screams or doesn't do any, like they can't look at people. And so they're really introverted all the way up to people that have the, the higher level is typically an Asperger's kind of a person. And even sometimes people that um, are Asperger's to, to normal, like, and you know, they can function normally. Um, so there's a huge variation in the type of person that we see mm-hmm. that has this disorder. So um, great explanation. Now let's talk about them with eating disorders. Yes. So I have asked Madison because she she really loves this top type of person, this type of issue. And quite frequently when we are working with people at MANA treatment, we will have some people, females and males, that will come in and they're a little bit different. They don't necessarily connect, they're not really socially driven. And so we tend to watch them and and see what they can do. So we are trying always to put them in the most productive level of care for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes they come in and if they, we need them to do the PHP level of care. Tell us, Madison, what that might be like for them. So, so explain what PHP yeah, is first. That's what I was thinking too. So PHP stands for Partial Hospitalization Patient, so or program, um, <clears throat> and that is our all-day program. So that goes from 1 p.m. until 7 p.m. and that would be our most intensive program that we offer. So let's say in ARFID, which again is Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, which I feel like is just not talked about in the eating disorder world or in the world in general. So if you've not heard of it, it is that is probably more common than if you have. Right. Um, but how we work with it is first we have to assess them to see if they could even handle program because our program can be 
pretty full. Um, there's a lot of kids in it, a lot of teenagers, a lot of uh, young adults or whatever. So if uh, we have, let's see, like a socially shy client, they might not be the best fit for our program. But if they have like our fit as like a secondary and they like are struggling with other like anxiety, depression sides, then that's usually like we're like, okay, yeah, you can do program because you need that extra social aspect. And we've seen it both ways. So typically it'll just start with getting to know the patient and understanding, okay, where did this start? Um, Because sometimes it can start with like a trauma, you know, people use food as punishments and rewards. And so if kids are being punished with food from a young age, it could make them terrified of, let's say like mustard, first thing it came to me. And so they could all start right there. Like they're terrified of mustard and then that could lead into other condiments. Now, no condiments are safe. So we start there, see what they're afraid of, see what they're comfortable with. And I always- So I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm gonna stop you for just a second. Go for it. I know you're on a roll. (laughs) But let's talk about the trauma with mustard. Okay. (laughs) How can mustard be a trauma? Oh my gosh, how can anything be a trauma? So let's say um, you, you get sent home from school early because you did something and you got kicked out of school early. Um, let's say your mom is at home and she's like, you did what? So now you have to take spoiled milk and mustard shots. Yeah. Ew. Yeah, you have to drink five of them. And that's your punishment. Who's going to do that? Some people that are probably hurting themselves. Like, <laughs> they're hurt in the inside, so they're hurting other people, that type of person. Right. The other thing that could happen <laughs> is that, let's say they had a sandwich and they had Um, I don't like brown mustard, but they had such a vile reaction Mm -hmm. to the brown mustard that they threw up. Yeah. So because of that taste aversion, because it was such a, like horseradish can be such a nasty taste in your mouth. You're not like horseradish. Um, But it could be something that that simple, maybe Mm -hmm. not as punitive as what Madison described, but something that is as simple as having that as a condiment or you know, you, you think that salt is sugar or sugar is salt and you mm-hmm. put that on your bread or your, you know, on your food and it becomes suddenly averse. Right. So that is, that can be mm-hmm. um, also, especially if someone has a uh, sensory integration problem, we got, a, I mean, you know, if you put salt in where sugar should be right it, it's going to be annoying and yuck mm-hmm. but for that type of a person it's it could be like now they don't trust chicken tenders like it could be detrimental exactly yeah I, I agree because it's like the negative association so I think anyone can relate to this think of something that you got food poisoning from mm-hmm. we've all had it and then the next day or the next three months whatever we're not eating that because we're like, oh, that reminds me of when I threw up for eight hours straight. And that's that's what happened to me with my ARFID. So I had pumpkin pie when I was little. Well, what'd you just say? With my ARFID. <laughs> so you had ARFID. I had ARFID. Yeah. I, I always say, like, I was born with ARFID, but realistically, it all started with pumpkin pie. No. <laughs> yeah. Tell us your story. Well, apparently, I didn't know this until, like, later on because I was like, pumpkin pie's the devil. And then my mom was like, you know, you used to love pumpkin pie, right? And I was like, there's no way. Like, it's the worst. And she was like, well, that's because when you were little, you ate the entire pumpkin pie all by yourself and got food poisoning. And so I got sick off of something I loved, which is so classic because I love, when I love something, I'm like, I got to eat it every day. 
which is ARFID, um, which can definitely be an ARFID thing. So, and then from then on, I was like, okay, I can't do pumpkin pie, which led to pumpkin smells, cinnamon, nutmeg, textures that are that creamy pumpkin pie. So at the so time- So you're not a pumpkin spice latte person. Well, nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Sorry, Bucks. <laughs> it's not happening for exactly. Madison. Nope, not for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, all right. So let's talk a little bit more. Um, okay, so- Explain, if you don't mind, a little bit, because we didn't really cover the diagnosis of ARFID. Mm-hmm. I know it's avoidant. It's it's literally what it sounds like, avoidant and restrictive food intake disorder. Mm-hmm. So this could look like someone with anorexia. Right. Except oh. the main difference is they probably like bread. Right. The difference is they don't like, this is sort of the old food neophobia. Mm-hmm. Food, that was the old name, yeah. Food neophobia is the... Um, the fear of having new foods. Mm -hmm. And so these kids typically like about 10 white bland foods. Yeah, we'll we'll see our clients eating like pasta with butter, if even, Um, maybe like Parmesan cheese. We see PB&Js or just peanut butter sandwiches that eat the same basic, no flavored foods. Yeah, they won't like, if you give them pizza, like they don't like colored foods, mm-hmm. right? So no red, no green, no brown. And so if you give them um, a piece of pizza, they will scrape off everything and eat the bread. Mm-hmm. They like potatoes any, any way. They like um, rice, mm-hmm. chicken, chicken tenders are especially the thing. Yeah, sometimes meats are always questionable. I see a lot of clients that have uh, an avoidance of meat because sometimes they have trauma, whether with like an injury. Mm -hmm. So I see that come up. Like if they have an injury, it's all of a sudden like, oh, now I can't eat red meat because that reminds me of that time I cut my arm open or something like that. So interesting different associations. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So, um, okay, now that we've explained a little bit more about ARFID, Mm -hmm. and now we know that you've had ARFID, (laughs) so let us know about when you work with people with ARFID Mm -hmm. and with spectrum disorders, um, tell us what it's like for, for you and for them. Well, it's slow. I'll definitely say that. It's a lot slower than um, any other disorder that I've worked with personally because I feel like a lot of the time they come in a little reserved. Um, My most recent, like, I feel like my most recent ARFID client had never heard of ARFID. And that's terrifying. Coming in and being like, hey, um, I have this thing that no one else has ever been through. And me being like, hey, oh, that's called ARFID. Like, you're not alone. It actually has a name. And they're like, what? Like, I I was afraid of carrots. Like, you know, like they're afraid of all kinds of things. Um, but it, it's a slow, slow and steady because you don't want to intimidate them. You want to take it at their pace and you don't want to force things on it. Let's say like they come in for their first week of treatment and I'm like, okay, we're going to try lobster. (laughs) Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Um, I will say I definitely tried one time to have someone try a condiment, Chick-fil-A sauce. It's the best. Um, I definitely had, so I tried that a little too early for one and oof, it did not go well. She probably, it was like three more weeks until we could get her to try something else. So you definitely have to take it at their pace and just, I start with the things they're comfortable with. So if they're comfortable with chicken tenders, I'm like, okay, well, let's try chicken fingers and a sauce. Okay. You're comfortable with French fries. Okay. Let's try potato, like sweet potato fries. Um, and just 
doing things that are similar textures, similar feelings, similar smells even, and then opening them up to like, oh, that didn't make me sick. Oh, that didn't make me have a panic attack. And then you just expand your food horizons like little by little. So folks, this is what we call exposure therapy. Yes, desensitization. Desensitization. (laughs) That's right. It's not an easy word to say. So yes, exposing them and desensitizing them to the the fear, which is I'm going to throw up or I'm going to um, have a stomach ache or I'm going to, I don't know, something else awful. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how we work with them. And so um, most of the clients that we've actually had that have had ARFID, Um, both males and females, Mm -hmm. we will put in our uh, groups with the rest of our um, program clients that do not have this as a specialty or a disorder and um, see what they can do. Um, Sometimes we have to coax them. Sometimes smaller groups are better for them, like two or three people Mm -hmm. versus six to eight. um, Because a lot, again, a lot of times people and just people interaction can be overwhelming for them. And so what we will do is we will try and take them through as much of the program as we feel like they can handle. We determine if they are, what they are getting, what what they're gaining. Mm -hmm. And then if once we feel like we've sort of reached their capacity in program, we will pull them out and we will have individual therapy with them with Madison. We have Mm -hmm. a dietitian and we also have people on uh, staff that are nurses and have specialties in eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like when you hear the word avoidant restricted food intake disorder, that's like so close to what people would probably assume anorexia is. Yep. So I wanted to throw out the main like thing, like if you're sitting there like, oh, does my kid have this? They only eat chicken fingers. Because yeah, what part of it, like some could be developmental, some like if they're four, yeah, they're probably going to like chicken fingers a lot, right? Um, so if you're like sitting here like, does my kid have this? Does my child who, you know, um, maybe look at their body image because the biggest thing that we see is like with anorexia, bulimia, orthorexia, all of those, the body image, body dysmorphia. They struggle with that. With ARFID, that's definitely one of the most interesting parts about it. They don't care about their body. They're not trying to lose weight. It's the complete being, oh my God, I cannot touch this food. It's going to do something bad to me or whatever. So I just thought that I had to throw that part in there, that that body image aspect is the only thing that's really not in ARFID that really distinguishes, okay, is this anorexia that we're dealing with or ARFID? And it can be both sometimes. They can always go intertwined with each other. So... Yeah, I think it, I mean, at MANA, we typically do take the individualistic approach. We um, try and uh, integrate everyone who needs our levels, you know, the different levels of care that we provide. We will integrate them into the appropriate levels of care and work with them. If they can only take it, you know, for three days a week, then we will try and work with them and their insurance to, um, provide that level of care and that structure for them. We also, I'm just going to throw out our our family IOP for those of you that don't know. We started a family IOP in May of this year because I don't know if you know that we've had a mental health crisis in this this country um, thanks to the pandemic. And so we couldn't put people in the highest levels of care, the um, 
uh, residential as well as, uh, well, if they have medical issues, we send them to the hospital. But we couldn't get a lot of our clients into res and they needed it. And so what we did was we created two different programs, our PHP Plus and our Family IOP. The PHP Plus is that in order to help people stop doing, stop the acting out behaviors, we integrated a DBT specific group every single day. DBT is basically a coping skills pro program and process and it's very, very highly structured and highly researched. And so we put, put those clients in DBT plus. We also started our family IOP in which family members of the clients that are in the program that struggle with eating disorders are encouraged to come and attend and we do two hours a day for four days and what we have found is that when a client comes in and their parents join or their their spouse or their family members join and any family we're allowed any we allow any family member um, grandparents siblings whomever we we want anybody that is willing to come and learn and we put them in our program simultaneously. And what we found is clients went from, let's say PHP, our partial hospitalization, they went from four months or six months or sometimes even 12 months. And we found that the average person who was in PHP and they had a family member in the family IOP went down to a month. Mm -hmm. Like they only, it took them a month to go from PHP to the next level down, which was IOP. And the same thing happened in IOP. Mm -hmm. If clients were in IOP and their parents or their family members were in our family IOP, it dropped down to only a month and they were, it's just been incredible. So we are currently doing um, retrospective research. We're also including research. We are continuing. So now we actually have openings in our program <laughs> and um so we are able to accept new clients right now and would love to help support you, whether your kid has anorexia, bulimia, ARFID, binge eating disorder, we, we treat them all. Mm -hmm. um, ladies and gentlemen, if you are out there and you also have an eating disorder, we are more than willing to, to support you as well. So again, Madison, we're gonna close for today nice and it's been lovely having you this has been so much fun <laughs> i'm gonna be like genie i have another topic let's go <laughs> well we do this twice a month here at business radio x with mr mike salmond so i want to thank you so much for joining us today on food faith and feelings and this is presented by paradigm security services and the mana fund and don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Food, Faith, and Feelings. This program is also available on Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until next time, I am Dr. Jeannie Burnett, and you've been listening to Food, Faith, and Feelings on Business Radio 